it's not about you're the CEO, so you're the most important. Everybody's important in an organization and you have to value them and help them see what success is too and celebrate their success. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is Beth Ford. She spent her career in many industries, from working on tankers and barge docks for mobile oil to publishing children's books at Scholastic. And now, Beth is the current CEO and president of Lando Lakes, the agricultural co-op known best for its delicious butter and dairy products. I can attest I'm a fan. She was named on Fortune's list of most powerful women in business four years in a row and is the first openly gay woman to lead a Fortune 500 company. Beth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm very excited. And before we get into the conversation, we love to start with a quick lightning round so to get to know you better. Are you ready? I am. Okay. What was the first job you got paid for? Well, probably the first job would have been babysitting. I mean, same. But job outside of uh, would have been detasseling corn. But I had a variety of jobs. You know, when you have seven siblings like I do and you're number five of eight, and you get one drawer that's yours in the house where you get the hand-me-downs, right? You take any job that's out there. You want me to pull weeds? I'm doing it. What is a secret hobby or skill that you have? I don't know if it's secret. I like fitness, so I, I tend to work out every day. I have a Peloton tread and a Peloton bike and have a rowing machine and I have weights. I get up about five and I usually am in the gym about quarter to six, six o'clock so I do all my reading and get updated. And then a couple of my kids come down and then we get them up. Oh, I'm very impressed. You know, you could work the skin morning shift or we're hiring. <laughs> Finish this sentence. What best describes your work day? Working nine till blank. Well, I don't work nine. I work six or 5.30 till uh, I go to sleep. What is your favorite recipe to make with Land Lake butter? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a great cook. My wife is a phenomenal cook. So you know what I get to do? I get to eat that and I'm the one who cleans up. Well, what does she say? Like, honey, like we're out of the butter. Bring some from work because I need to make blank. Oh my gosh. She's not a baker, really. She's more into like the Julia Child's book. And Julia is all about the butter. All about the butter. I started with Julia. Love it. Can you skim Lando Lake's new initiative, the American Connection Project? The thought was that we need to bring technology into rural America and into underinvested in communities. And so when I say rural America, everybody immediately says, oh, up northern part of the United States and it's in ag areas. But actually, every state in the nation has a rural area. The whole American Connection Project was focus folks' attention, especially those in D.C., on a major investment to close this digital divide. Great, great initiative. What is your go-to karaoke song? (laughs) Do you know that when we're at a a wedding with my family, we always sing Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, The Loaf. 
meatloaf. That's what happens. And it's okay. It is okay. I love a family tradition. Okay. Beth, I want to get into it. You grew up in a very large, you just mentioned you have so many siblings, very large working class family in Iowa. And you work jobs that wouldn't say are the most glamorous. Like, give me an example of some of the jobs you had. When I was in college, I cleaned toilets. That's how I made money, cash, because I had to pay for my own college. I had a night shift job. I painted houses. I walked the beans, as they say. So I took weeds out of beans. You know, I have a lot of unglamorous positions, certainly at that point. And then when I started my career, I worked to work for Mobile Oil, and I was the night shift foreman, the tanker and barge dock manufacturing foreman. Here's the thing. People would call those unglamorous. And I say, well, geez, this is what my family does. Well, I was just going to say that I, I was kind of using air quotes when I said unglamorous, but the reason I'm asking is because so many people hear, oh, you're talking to the CEO. Like what was their first you know, job in corporate America? And, and you know, a lot of CEOs start that way. And the path that you took, which was like truly coming from the field, literally, and then working your way up, you don't hear about those stories as much anymore. And so what do you think that those skills, that exposure, what your family like did, how that prepared you to be in charge today? What a great question, because I think a little humility is always helpful when you're a leader. You're not a leader if you don't have followers. And if followers would mean that you're showing yourself as authentic. Listen, I respect people. They're trying to raise a family. They're working hard doing whatever the job is. You want, you're a janitor or whatever. I, I've been the janitor, right? That's my dad. That's my uncle. And so I, I think that what is helpful is I understand because I've been there because that's my family, how important it is to have an optimistic, positive view, to value every person, to value every job that you're doing and understand how critical it is. It's not about you're the CEO, so you're the most important everybody's important in an organization and you have to value them and help them see what success is too and and celebrate their success, whatever that might be. So I, I think it's been helpful when I'm making decisions to understand that's a real person life impact that may transpire because of some decision you make. When people come to you for advice, you know, I'm graduating school or maybe not going to college at all. Like, how do I get my foot in the door? What type of job should I look for? How do you answer that? When they're in a school, what I say is, please, you know, if you're, if you're offered a job between the company's headquarters and on the shop floor, go to the shop floor. Learn the business that way. Learn people. Don't say, I'm not ever going to do this. I'm only going to live here. I mean, be open to all of life's experiences. You mentioned I've worked for seven companies in six industries, certainly didn't know them before I started them, but you have to have intellectual curiosity, a willingness to fail, resilience, and an understanding that your success comes because you're helping somebody else's success. You enable their success. Be a good partner. Don't be a knucklehead who's only about yourself because that's just not okay. That's not okay. One of the things I love about your story and in researching is something actually that you just referenced that you've switched industries quite a bit. After about a decade at mobile, you decided to transition to publishing. You don't get more different than that. And it largely because of the mission of driving literacy rates in children. Just kind of walk us through like how that pivot came about. 
I was fortunate at mobile that I had a lot of different positions that were leadership positions, line positions, tanker and barge docks, trucking facilities, manufacturing facilities, did some time on the trading floor. And there, I would say, you know, those are real people issues. Those are wonderful. I actually left there and went for a smaller company uh, called Persico, which was the external supply chain manager for McDonald's. So how that happened was I was running the export operations. I met this organization that was part of this Persico company. And so they said, hey, there's this job in Chicago and it's tied to McDonald's. What I recognize at year 10 of my career is if I stayed at mobile, I would be an energy industry person for life because at a certain point, it makes no sense to move. You get the golden handcuffs. You got to stay there. So instead I moved and then that was too small. And then I got a call when I come to Pepsi. I went to Pepsi after Persico because I got a call from somebody. Again, I had a relationship. They understood who I was, asked me, would I come and be the supply chain manager? And from there, I was in a business that also had another relationship with Scholastic. This was Accenture. I was doing a project with them at Pepsi. They had somebody who was a partner doing work at Scholastic. So back to your question, how did I go to publishing? They said, hey, they're hiring for a new um, head of operations. You should go talk with them. I met the CEO, Dick Robinson, who talked about literacy in children. The connection point I want to make in all of this is how important relationships are. The most important advice I give to people is relationships are key in your life and they are key in your business and in your business career. And so each of those times I've moved, it's because I met someone and they said, hey, you know, you might be interested in this or you want to talk to Beth. And similarly, I try to do the same. I say, listen, this isn't right for me, but I met this, this woman, Joan. She's phenomenal. You should talk to Joan. And that's how we all, as women especially, could help each other. It's such good advice and and so true. One of the things that I think is really interesting, as you mentioned, you worked in six different industries and those relationships helped you leverage opportunities across industries. But a lot of people would say, you know what, I'm going to build my relationships internally and I'm going to follow like the vertical track and work my way up in the company. And what I think is so interesting is that you resisted the urge just to focus, you know, vertically focusing on like the better title or promotion and really seemed to focus on like learning as much and being curious as much as possible and, and leveraging the relationships that way. Is that something you recognized in yourself early on? Is that something that when you look back at how your career moved, you're like, oh yeah, I have always been curious. I think that the first eight to 10 years of my career, I was like every 20 something year old, I was like, okay, do I have enough money to pay my rent? <laughs> you know. Is anybody having a party this weekend? I want to go to the party, whatever it might be. I, I was I was getting broad professionally and learning to be an adult, learning to be a, a professional in the world. And so that breadth of exposure experience, not being afraid to take a lateral, to learn more, to get a different function exposure helped me. And then I really was very intentional in my 30s and 40s about how do I get broader, but continue to move my way up. You know, many times when I would move and I would get a lot of calls, would you be interested in, I might decide with my wife as then you're making whole life decisions, right? You've got a family, you've got a spouse who's also um, working on their career. And so you're working a variety of things that are intentional about your whole life, about, yes, you want to take the next move 
Is it interesting? Will it help you? Can you be impactful? Can you help that business? And similarly, is it right for your family and what their pursuits are? What advice would you give to somebody who's like, I want to ask my boss if they see me in this growth role, if they see me on this trajectory? Boy, I hope they do it. I hope you ask. How do you, like, like literally let's like role play. How do I ask? Say, you know, uh, John or Jane, I understand that this job is open. And you know what? I really want that job. I want to be in your role one day. Do you see me that way? What is the next step I need to take? Now, when you do that, and I encourage so much people to do this, own your decisions. Please don't just be a, a spectator in your career or in your life. Be ready for the answer. Because the answer might be, no, we don't see it that way. And you should see it as a gift. Sometimes it, it hurts. Somebody say, oh, I, I asked and they said no. Well, then you get to ask the next question, why? What are the things I need to do to position myself? Now, let's say that they continue to say, no, it's not right. Well, then that's still a gift because it's not your right place. It's not your right place. If you still aspire to be there, then you get to make other decisions. And I encourage people all the time, have an active conversation. People aren't going to guess what you want. And why wouldn't you want to shape your own future and then be ready for all those other answers? Because those are all gifts, no matter the answer. When you took the job at Atlanta Lakes, you were pretty clear like that you want to eventually be CEO, right? Mm -hmm. Even just kind of saying that out loud. Did you feel confident in saying, hey, I'll come in, but like, I want the big job. It had been discussed with me in my previous two companies. So it wasn't a, and I'm going to move here and this is a possibility. The last company I'd worked for, IFF, and the company before that, it had been an understanding that I was working towards being the CEO in the, both of those industries. Now, the reality was what I recognized is I probably wasn't the right CEO for those businesses. In publishing, for instance, I like it. There are some people who are so much better. They love it. They can tell you every editor, every book. And while I liked it, that wasn't me. I wasn't the right person. At IFF, I thought it was great, but I thought I wanted to do something bigger, have a bigger impact. Now, when I went to Land Lakes, I came in as a chief supply chain officer. I did understand how long my predecessor had been in the role. He wouldn't be there forever. And then I did start having active conversations with him that that was my ambition. My aspiration was to be the CEO. And that was what we're seeing. Now, of course, you have to perform. So it's one thing to say you want to do it. It's another thing to say, I'm going to give you great performance and I'm going to build my competency, my understanding of the business, my capability, my connections within and outside the company to be uh, well positioned. As somebody who's like, let kind of curiosity be your compass across your career, you just listed zillion departments that you took on that doesn't sound necessarily like all of your background made you an R&D expert, for example. Walk us through like the process you go of learning something new at work. Like how did you learn and feel confident to take on different departments that maybe is not your bread and no pun intended and butter? I really want to talk about the butter in case you can't tell. I know you do. Okay. Well, we also have Vermont creamy butter, goat cheese too. Um, <laughs> So how do I do it? The first thing and most important thing in my mind is to find the smart people doing it. And then don't be afraid of asking questions. What I know about people and what happens is that people want to help you. They want to help you. 
So when I go to a new company or when I've gone to a new function, I'll say, listen, you're clearly the expert. I don't know anything. Or I know about this much and you're super smart at this. Can you help me understand this? And so I work hard to ask questions and to listen and then listen some more and then ask some more questions and have the humility to understand the best way you can be a good partner, a good leader is to trust that you've got people much smarter than you in these particular areas that are there to work with you and work together to drive success. Leadership, I always have a speech I give on leadership as a team sport. And it's a team sport because if you're smart, you hire great people or you're smart enough to be humble and ask. And you're worried more about their success. Their success is your success. If you worry about what they want and need and how they want to pursue their lives and careers um, and help them do that, you can be amazed at what you learn. And back to your original question, I learned because I'm not afraid to ask questions and be embarrassed because that's hard. No, it's, it's so hard. And it is such a sense of confidence to be able to say, yeah, this might be like a dumb question. I hate that phrase. What that phrase really means is like, I might end up being embarrassed asking this. You just said that your management style is like really working as a team sport. What does it actually mean? Like in practice? Give me an example of the last thing that happened at work where you were like, this is a team. Well, first of all, let's be realistic. I mean, organizations are hierarchical. So in the end, I make the, if you want to say the final decision, that's a silly comment. But obviously, as the senior most person in an organization, oftentimes you're setting the trajectory, the direction. And if a decision of significant consequences that could impact the the bottom line or relationships is to be made. It comes into my office. Now, when I say team sport, I'm going to use go back to the American Connection Project. I was out in the country and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is where I'm from. These towns have no investment. It's not acceptable. 78% of the counties in America that index as food insecure are in rural America. And they have no hospitals, no technology, no schools that are good. I mean, it's, it's not okay. But then I, I said to Tina May, who's my uh, chief of staff, Tina, you know, we've got to do something because this COVID crisis is going to overwhelm these rural hospitals and they don't even have supplies and they're like, if they have a doctor, for goodness sake, we've got to do something. And Tina then started kind of ground up working across the organization with different key members to, you know, our government affairs team, our communications team, our team at Winfield, whatever, to just pick up the phone. We can be intentional as an organization and as a team to use our voice and use our energy to connect with other people and bring everybody together to say, this is the way we can drive change. And that has been a tremendous success to get that visibility to that critical item. It doesn't matter if you're in a rural area or not. Do you want a safe, affordable food supply? Do you want a strong United States of America? I think we all want that. So that would be an example of me setting an intention, but really the team then broadening and convening and driving to a result. One of the things that you've spoken a lot about um, just in reading about you is that you are passionate about letting employees know that their work is valuable and that they themselves as individuals are valued. Are there you know, concrete or tactical ways that you go about doing that? Well, one of the things I try to do 
is be as visible as it can. And you never, you know, when people say you're not communicating well, I'm like, I always have to take that on because guess what? You're the receiver of my communication. So if you don't feel well communicated to, that's on me, not you as the receiver. One of the things that I do is I do um, lunch with Beth and I've done, I don't know, what is it now? 70 lunches with Beth over the last year or two. And it's cross divisions. And I really just try to listen to them. What can I do to help you? Are you okay? Are you getting the messages that you want? What don't I know? What can I do to make this clear? Those types of things. That would be one example where I try to lead with, I care about you. I care about your health. I care about your mental health. I understand you're living a full life and I want you to be safe and I want you to feel engaged and I want to help in that endeavor. And by the way, what you're doing is fantastic. I'm so grateful because not only are we doing terrific, our business results have been strong, but you care about other people. You show up caring about other people. I was doing this event and I was talking to a couple of our members, young couple, dairy members, and they had just started this farm and it wasn't going so well because it that is a tough business. We should admire these people. The wife hadn't grown up in agriculture. The husband had, and they met at college. They had three little ones. They were just barely making money. And so I said, you know, so do you do work? Well, I can't because I have my three kids. You know, I was like, this is just not okay. I mean, look at how hard they're working. We got to do something. So we started this, what we call our swap program, where we have a lot of consultants that come in or third parties. And now what we do is we work with our members, with their families, with their, their children, and they do project work for us and they earn an income from that so that a wife like that or a woman or a man who only has a certain number of hours when the babies go to sleep, can do this work and earn extra income. And we can say, I value you. I value you because I know life is hard and what you're doing is spectacular. And I want, I want to help as best I can. And I think that's the way the folks who are with us, they believe that. They stay with us because they want to make an impact too. We've interviewed a lot of people on the show who were the first, the first in their family, first in their industry. And you also have a first, you are the first openly gay woman leading a Fortune 500 company. What have you taken away from being a visible LGBTQ plus leader in the country today? Of course, I just am being myself. So I don't want to go out there and say, well, look at me, blah, blah, blah. And this was well known about me you know, for the last 20 or 30 years, because of course, once I met Joe, my wife, and we had kids, I mean, what, did the kids just arrive at the door? I don't think so. (laughs) You know, it wasn't an extra bottle of wine or something that happened there. So let's say that we were intentional. And so what have I learned? Most of the time when people contact me, and I get a lot of folks who contact me, it is a lot of times as parents, and it's parents who want to talk about their child who's come out to them as LGBTQ. And how much hope they have for their child. And so they will say, oh, thank you, you know, for being your authentic self. And I can have a conversation with my child or they'll be in tears. And what I've taken away is we all want what is right for our family, for our kids, for our brothers and sisters. This is nothing to do with me as a first of anything. It is a representation of hope. Hope that their child is going to be loved and okay. And so that's what I've taken away that it really, again, back to this, get over ourselves is leadership is a team sport. It's not about me. And in this instance, it's really, isn't about me. 
It's about what it represents for them in their life, the hope it provides, and they can be valued and they'll be okay. And I get it because I have three kids. I have multiple siblings. I have, you know, what, 20 nieces and nephews. And you just want, you want and hope so much for them. I want to read a question that we got from one of our listeners named Cassidy. And Cassidy said she'd like to know throughout your career, how did you go about getting feedback from your boss? Well, you know, it's a great question because some bosses are much more upfront with feedback and others, it feels like you arrive at the appraisal time and you get surprised. <laughs> that's not, a, that's not okay, by the way. Um, you should ask for more frequent uh, feedback. I would intentionally go and ask, you know, I think we, we're all, we go through our educational process and we're like, oh, you know, I got an A on this. I got a B on that. You're getting feedback from a teacher and it's in a grade and in a, a company or in your professional life, it feels like a one time and you're not necessarily getting it more frequently. I ask, I ask, and I do it in a way and have done it in a way that is leading them to understand what I aspire to. Did you understand what I was trying to do? What should I have done better? Tell me where I have a gap. How can I fill that gap? What are the things I need to think about? How am I showing up? What am I doing? And so I think you need to ask. You need to ask for the bad news, not all the good news. And you need to say, I need your help in dealing with that. If I'm showing up this way or if I'm not getting that done or if this is the perception, I clearly need to work on that. One thing I want to ask just before we close is when people don't ask for feedback, maybe not a direct report, but when you hear that people aren't asking for feedback, what does that signal to you? Well, it may be a, a culture of fear. It may be discomfort with my own self, a self-esteem issue. It may be that you don't feel like you have permission or a right to ask for any reason. There are a number of things. You have to, you have to be in the right culture Having worked in multiple industries and different companies, cultures are different. If you can't be your authentic self, feeling comfortable, saying, I need you to tell me, I want to understand how can I get better and see it as working to get better versus somebody's judging me, they're judging me, and it's always a negative, that's going to be a problem. It's going to be hard to grow. And um, you should want that growth moment and you should take on both the good and the bad. That is a rich, full life and a rich, full career. Last question. Who else should we have on this show? Oh, jeepers. Well, I always love listening to Melody Hobson. I love Melody Hobson. We have not had Melody on the show. I would love to make that happen. You know her. Send her our way. I will. I will tell her that she needs to be on with you because I think she's, she's terrific. Well, I can now say I'm not just a fan of Lando Lakes for the butter and the cheese and the creamery, but also you. This has been such an informative conversation. Um, thank you. I feel like I, I just learned a lot about how to be a better leader. So really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And thanks for spending the time. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with the Skim, where each week 
We're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday.